0: Remain standing, if you would, please. Uh, Man, if that won't light your fire, your wood's wet. Wow. That gives me such great hope when you hear a 12-year-old write and sing the praises of God with the presence of the Holy Spirit moving in her life and in her voice. Wow. Hallelujah. We're in a new series called Say It. Today is the second message, the installment in this series. It's called The Power of the Tongue. We are looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. This is our text. Before you're seated, find a screen. Let's read it out loud together. Here we go. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe... And so we also speak. The Apostle Paul is quoting an Old Testament scripture from the book of Psalms, chapter 116. The psalmist is saying, I believed and I spoke because what I have in my heart gets activated by the words that are in my mouth. If you remember last week, we had one thing that I asked you to remember. We said it over and over during the whole message. One thing, one idea. Belief in the heart is activated by what? Words in the mouth. Say it again. Belief in the heart is activated by words in the mouth. So today, as we get ready, I want you to say the verse with me one more time. Here we go. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Bow your hearts with me for a word of prayer. God, we are just amazed today at the talent the heart for God we just ask you Lord to bind Sydney to the kingdom that there is nothing that the enemy can have or touch that she is yours and that her, your hand is upon her life we thank you for her we thank you for the truth that she sang about that there is a lamp and there is a light to our feet and to our path thank you that that light is the word of the Lord thank you that light is Jesus himself salvation is found in no one else There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We thank you for the name of Jesus. We believe that and we speak it. Today I ask you, Holy Spirit, to move and teach in this group, in this speak words of life and bring conviction, bring encouragement, breathe the rhema, breathe uh, the inspiration of the Spirit of God into the hearts of these people. Lord, I believe that you're going to call dead men to life. I believe you're going to resurrect sinners and you're going to transform them into saints. I believe, oh God, that you're going to bring healing into sickness. I believe you're going to bring restoration into broken relationships. Thank you that the gospel is given to us for every one of those things. Not only salvation from hell, but Lord, salvation from the power of sin. Salvation to the purposes of God. Thank you that you saved us not just from something, but you saved us for something great. Lord, we thank you for that. We give you praise. I just acknowledge that I can't do anything apart from you, but I'm thankful that I'm not apart from you. That through Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We'll be careful to give you all the praise, and it's because of the strong name of Jesus that we're here. Everybody said. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Today, as we jump in, to say it number two, we talk about the power of the tongue, one thing, everybody say one thing. One thing that I want to make sure that you grab hold of is this idea. Words are containers, literally, that carry power-producing messages. Think about that. Words are containers that carry power-producing messages. If you have walked with the Lord for any number of years, probably you've been introduced to the concepts of this idea of confession and how faith is activated in confession. It has literally been probably a decade since I've talk, taught on this. And I realize that there, are, is a, there is a spectrum of ideas. I believe that there is a solid middle ground of truth that is in the Word. And there is a spectrum of ideas that we have to wrestle with sometimes because of a little bit of an out-of-balance message that might come by some of the guys on television or radio or whatever. And I'm not going to really chase that rabbit today to try to Undo or bring adjustment. I'm just going to preach the word. I believe if you get the word in you and you have a heart that is toward the Lord, the Holy Spirit will lead you and teach you. Uh, I don't really, really, unless it is just pure out and out heresy. I think too many times we we waste too much time trying to correct things and we end up making a bigger blunder and we create another out of balance understanding by trying to correct the first one in the first place. So I'm just going to preach the word. That's all my focus is today. I'm going to show you what the word says. You go to the Word, if you, you see, what let, let's be like those in the book of Acts chapter 17 where it talked about uh, those of Thessalonica and it talked about the Bereans and it literally said that they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So any real true faithful man of God to the Word of God will always tell you to check the Word with the Word. Check what is being spoken with what's already been spoken, with what's written, what's in the in your lap there in a holy Bible, or on a smart device uh, with you version, or whatever you use, BibleGateway.com, or any way that you use to get the word into you. So this morning, we're talking generally about words sp- uh, in general, and that is that they are containers that carry power-producing messages. Look at your neighbor and ask your neighbor, say, neighbor, what are words? Now answer them back and tell them what it is. They're containers that carry power producing messages. Now, I do everything I can through a series to get you to get a, a, a passage memorized, get it into your heart, because I want to get this stuff into your toolbox, because if you get the word in your heart, what, what were those, the last two phrases of Sydney's chorus that she sang every time? She said, stay in the word, remember, keep your heart in the word. And so the whole point is, is if I can get you your heart in the word, get the word in your heart, then when you encounter trials or temptations, circumstances that would discourage you, that would make you fearful, that would distract you from the purposes of God in your life, then you have something in your toolbox that you can call on. You can do what Jesus did when he was tempted. He spoke the word back to the tempter himself. And the scripture says he departed from him. He, he, he just didn't, couldn't find a place, couldn't find a foothold, couldn't find a place to, to get a lodge, his foot lodged into Jesus' life. And so we don't want to give place to the enemy. And the way we do that is we fill up all those little places in our lives with the word so that when we get squeezed, the word comes out. Come on, come on, we're like a kingdom tube of toothpaste. When you squeeze it, what's on the inside comes out. And so today, words are containers that carry power-producing messages. Point number one, as we jump in this morning, we're looking together today to the book of Proverbs. The first point is, there is power in your mouth. Everybody say that. There's power in your mouth. Now, if you're from the South, you don't actually say T-H, you say F. You say, there's power in your mouth. (laughs) If you're from the South... It's power in your mouth. (laughs) There is power in your mouth. And so as we look to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, I have a few passages that I'd like to share with you briefly this morning. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Uh, don't raise your hands, but how many of you know somebody that when, you know that when you get around them, you're just about going to have to have a shield to deflect the words because you know they're going to say something that might put you on edge, might tick you off a little bit. Some of those folks that uh, are a little more wordy than they have tact. Uh, and, and many times it's just because there's a little bit of immaturity. They, think, they call it being plain and, and being candid, and really it's just being undisciplined. Because there's a right way and a wrong way to say things. Don't shout me down. There's a right way and a wrong way to help folks. And the, the sharp edge of the word, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, the word is alive and active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And we can use the same thing that a surgeon uses a scalpel to bring healing we can turn it around and make it a sword and we can destruct someone. We can, we can destroy, we can hurt, we can maim, we can, we can lame. We can hurt somebody badly, uh, not just in the content of the words, but the tone and the way we say it and the body language and the look on our face. And so we don't want to be rash with our words, but we want to have a tongue that brings healing. Now, you see, sometimes when it's in that moment when someone sort of catches you off guard, and, and I've been there, I've done it, I have knee-jerked. And I have overreacted, and I've said this so many times in the past, I want you to hear this, it's a lot easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Now some of you get that in a minute. It's a lot easier to put on a face and a show and act like a believer than it is to in the moment when you don't have a, but a second to react. Because how you react is really what's down in the contents of your heart, and and when sometimes I get my tongue in gear before I I get my tongue in motion, before I get my mind in gear, my heart in gear, and I have to actually stop and say, hey, 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 hold on, hold stop, stop here. Uh, It's my fault. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I overreacted. My feelings are hurt, and I I want to take responsibility for the words. Let me let me, even though I can't take those words back, I apologize for what I just said. Forgive me. Let's start fresh. I've had to do that. I don't know about you, but it's, it's much better to just be able to back up and say, look, I blew it, than it is to just keep on out of pride, pressing your point, and just get hard-headed and keep driving because you can destroy a relationship by what's coming out of this and right here. <laughs> Bible says in verse 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. You know, sooner or later, the truth will come out. Folk, folk can tell lies, you know. You, you might have, and, and, and there's a president that ha- happens to hail from our state. I won't say his name, <laughs> but just the most amazing ability just to be able to look folk in the eye and, and, and make them think. Well, anyway, I just better hush before I keep going here. Uh, but you know what I mean. It's just people that just can just lie to you and just make you think they're telling the truth. And, you know, the truth finally does come out. One of my favorite heroes of history, Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England during of Great Britain during the the Second World War, said this, he said, truth gets up and gets halfway around the world before pants before, uh, I'm sorry, a lie gets up and goes halfway around the world before truth can get its pants on. (laughs) But how many of you know truth is like the tortoise? The lie will go in a quick hurry, but sooner or later, truth will catch up with it and will confront it. Come on, how many of you know the truth will make you free? When you know it, you will know the truth, and truth will make you free. But let me tell you, before it makes you free, it's going to make you miserable for a little while. Look at your neighbor and say, he didn't just say that. Listen to this, uh, Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I have a choice. I can choose whether I'm going to respond and react with a soft word that can turn away wrath, or if I'm going to sometimes play to the same spirit that that person has and then get in the battle and the fray of things. And it's in those moments when I forget that the real battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against that complaining person standing in front of me because maybe their heart is hurt and I need to be discerning enough to see that. Because sometimes the words that are initially coming out of a person's mouth are really not even what the issue is about. Sometimes there's a deeper hurt that has to be revealed. And so as leaders, as parents, as pastors, as home group leaders, as employers, as neighbors and friends, we need to be sensitive enough to the things of the Spirit so that God can lead us and learn how to turn away wrath with a soft answer and then listen to the contents of the person's heart who is speaking. The Bible says in verse 2, The tongue of the wise commands knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. I definitely want to be the first one and not the second. I want to have the tongue of the wise. I want to share knowledge that will strengthen and build up people and transform their lives. I don't want to be mouthing foolishness and pouring out folly. Verse 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A tree of life. A tree of life is the idea of something that is carrying fruit. And I want the fruit of my lips that gives praise to his name. Hebrews 13, 15 says, I want the fruit of my life, my lip and my life to match. I want my talk and my walk to match. And forgive me, this is an old preacher joke, but it's the little Japanese guy that says, no talky-talky, no walkie walky." Okay, no walkie walky. I'm getting all turned around this morning. Uh, It's like the other other old preacher said, I got my tongue wrapped around my eye tooth and I couldn't see what I was saying. (laughs) Bad preacher jokes. The Japanese preacher said, no walkie walkie, no talkie talkie. In other words, if you don't walk it, don't talk about it. If your life doesn't match your lip, there was a friend of mine that was in the printing business uh, in Jonesboro, Arkansas. She and her husband, and she used to tell her husband and her sons, if you can't import it, don't export it. If you can't bring it home, don't take it out there and sell it. Whatever it is, make sure that it has integrity, that it's based on honesty, that there's reality in it. Listen to this, verse 7 of Proverbs 15, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart of fools. Proverbs 16, 23, and 24, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious In other words, he's discerning. He he has good judgment about the words that he's speaking. He is judicious and he adds persuasiveness to his lips. There is significant influence when a person has the ability through discipline and determination to use right chosen words that speak specifically to the situation to encourage the downtrodden to adjust and gently correct those that are out of the way and bring them back into the way, to bring peace to those that are worried, to, to lift up those that are downtrodden. Come on, somebody, are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? I want my tongue to be a tree of life. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. One more, two verses here, one more section, and I'm finished this. with this point. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Think about that. Proverbs 18, verse 20. From the fruit of a man's mouth, we don't normally think about grapes and apples and oranges and bananas, fruit that we think of, being on a man's lips. But he's using this harvest seed analogy to say that words, remember, are containers that carry power producing messages. So I'm planting seeds with the words that I'm speaking today. I'm making an investment when I sit down every week with a 30-minute piano lesson with Sidney Grafton. And, and I, I, I encourage her and I gently correct and say, okay, try this technique and practice this way. And when you do it and you're, and you're stumped and you, and, you, and you are finding a frustration at, at that moment, stop and pray because the Holy Spirit is the teacher that, that will be with you when I can't be. And He's a better teacher than I am anyway. And I teach all of my students, listen, stop. But before you practice, stop and say, Holy Spirit, teach me today. I said, as ridiculous as this sounds, and I don't care whether anybody believes what I'm telling you at this point or not because I've lived it and I've experienced it. I've prayed and said, Holy Spirit, teach me. Then I've watched my hands do things on the keyboard that, that I'd never learned out of a book. They, it's like the anointing of the Holy Spirit came on me and the Bible says the anointing is the teacher, 1 John 2, 27. He will teach you. He is with you. He is in you. And he will teach you. So the Bible says, From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield, by the harvest, the produce of his lips. Here it is right here. This is the summation of point number one. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Everybody say fruits. So there is power in your mouth. Look at your neighbor and tell them right now, there's power in your mouth. Point number two. Point number two. The tongue is a tiny member with a huge influence. The tongue is a tiny member, member of the body. Eyes, ears, nose, toes, fingers, feet, elbows, muscles, nerves, veins, arteries, Cells, plasma, all of these different kinds of things are members of our body. The tongue right here in the middle has the ability probably to be the most constructive and the most destructive at the same time. It has a huge influence. Listen as we read from the Apostle James' words, his general epistle to the church. He's the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus. James 3, verses 1 through, I believe, 11 or 12. Okay, yeah, verse 12. Here we go. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Very simply saying that if you're going to get up and use a platform and instruct people in the promises of God, walking in faith, application of the gospel into every area of life, then it means there's going to be an expectation on your life that your lip and your life match that your walk and your talk are congruent, that they are in agreement. Now, it doesn't mean that there is a state of perfection, sinlessness, but we're talking about having a life that's in agreement, okay? That means that the biggest thing that you're adjusting out of as a teacher is really wrestling down improper attitudes, that you're not walking around with a whole bucket full of all kinds of secret sin and all different kinds of things going on in one's life. You want to have a life uh, because you're going to have greater expectation put on you. There's a stricter judgment. You stand up to teach, folks expect you to live what you're saying. And that's just, that's, that's what it means to be a follower. We're looking to people who can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Do Listen, Let me. it's a nice, self-effacing sort of a way when preachers say, don't follow me, follow Jesus, but that's not the Bible. Because the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So if you don't have a pastor that you have confidence in, or a spiritual leader, or a Sunday school teacher, or a life group leader, or someone that you, who claims to be a believer, and you can't say, I follow you because I see Jesus in you, then you, you need to back up and reevaluate who you're hanging out with. Are you hearing me? Because that's the word of the Lord. Paul said, follow me. He didn't say, don't follow me, follow Jesus. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. So leaders ought to have some example. Say that with me. Leaders should have some example. All right, here, verse 2, here we go. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, note that, what he says, the title of this series is Say It. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So he's using an analogy from nature. A rider on horseback puts a bit, a bridle, reins attached to the bridle. He pulls the horse's head with the direction of the reins that he's pulling. The way the horse is looking is the way the horse is going to go. So the rider on the back of the horse is directing the travel, the destination to which the horse will go to based on what's in the horse's mouth Okay, it's a bit, it's a bridle. So we're moving on. Verse 4, we're going to see an industrial example now from the creation of man. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Everybody say rudder. Very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, it's not the wind that's driving the ship if a pilot knows what he's doing. The wind may be the power behind it, but a pilot... Who has good sailing skills or a motor and a small rudder on the back that's working that's attached to the steerage of the boat will have the ability to even steer that boat into contrary winds and still move and progress and get somewhere even without a motor with a sailboat. He will learn how to tack along the shore and sail into contrary winds in order to be able to get somewhere. And he does that by means of a rudder. And so the writer of James is comparing the horse, the bridle, the bit, the ship, the rudder, the steering, all of these things. Look at verse 5. He says, so also. First 2 words. Say those two words with me. Here we go. So also. So this is a big comparison. So also, the tongue. The tongue. This is the Greek word glossa. We get the English word glossary. A glossary is a small dictionary. It's not like a huge dictionary. It's usually just a com- compilation of terms that relate to the discipline that you're studying. If you're studying medicine, there's usually a glossary in the back of the big tome, the big huge textbook that's big enough to be a doorstop in your house. And it's usually, it's going to be all the specific jargon, the vernacular, the, the special terminology that you're using as you study zoology, or biology, or geology, because every one of those disciplines has a special tongue, a glossa, a glossary. Matter of fact, this is just a little, I don't have it in my notes, but the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues, is the Greek word glossolalia, speaking in languages, okay? So the Apostle Paul here is saying, I'm sorry, not Paul, but James, is saying the tongue, the glossa, is a small member, yet it boasts of great things, which is actually makes the point. Point number two is the tongue is a tiny member with a huge influence. It, it, it's a small member, but yet it boasts of great things. It says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, Look at this phrase. This is the, one of the most important things I'm going to say today. Setting on fire, the, read it out loud, the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The entire course of life. Those Greek words right there, trachos, genesis. We get our English word genesis from it, actually, which is a transliteration of the Greek word, genesis it literally translates as the wheel of creativity, the wheel of Genesis. God has word that he has spoken over your life, blessing and life and encouragement and strength and increase, the glory of God. You have the ability with this undisciplined member right here to set on fire the entire course of the creative word that God has spoken over your life. Now, all the years that I've heard people preach the importance of the confession, I have never heard anybody dig into this little simple phrase right here. The wheel of Genesis, the wheel of Genesis, the wheel of creativity. God, I believe He is sovereign. I believe His Word is all-powerful, that it cannot be thwarted. But let me tell you, don't think for a second, because we believe and preach and teach the sovereignty of God. That doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to put hindrances and obstacles. You can make an 11-day journey into the promised land become 40 years of wandering if you're not careful. You have the ability to set on fire the entire course of life. To set on fire the whole wheel of Genesis. To set on fire the creative spoken word that God has prophesied, declared over your life for blessing and not cursing. You speak cursing, guess what happens? You're literally hindering, setting on fire what God sometimes has taken years in your life to build and to put into place. Remember those old Smokey the Bear commercials, I'm dating myself in terms of how old I am and you remember it. Smoky would always say prevent forest fires and one little bitty tiny smart uh, spark. you want to stir that campfire around and pour water over it and you want to stamp around, make sure that it's all completely. There is no fire because one spark can burn down a forest that took a hundred years to grow. Okay. That's literally what the Apostle James is saying to us here that, the, that the, this tongue is a fire and it can literally set on fire the entire course of life. The entire course of nature, another translation says, and it's set on fire by hell. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Let me just say to you right now that in the very same way that you've seen circus acts with brave men who have tamed lions by distraction by a chair with at least a stool with three legs or four, four legs on it. it would distract the lion and would crack the whip. There is the ability to be able to tame the beast, that lion, and hold him at bay. I want to tell you that no human being alone can tame this member right here. But Christ is the heavenly tongue tamer. He's the lion tamer. And what it takes is him getting into your heart because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, what? What's, it's going to come out of the tongue, the mouth, okay? So when he gets in the heart, he has the ability to be able to tame this wild, unruly beast and this fire that can burn up everything. You can't do it in your own ability. You can't white-knuckle it. You can't do it in your strength. But Christ can get into you, and it can turn you around and teach you discipline and give you the ability to learn how to say the right thing at the right time. He goes on to say, with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And he's saying, man, this ain't right. It shouldn't be that way. He said, in nature it doesn't work like that. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What he's basically saying is, is that you have something right up here in the middle of your head that defies all the other laws of nature. Thorns and thistles don't bear good fruit. Uh, a, a, A well that has been poisoned doesn't bear fresh water. But how is it that we, made in the image of God, can have both blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth, out of the same heart, out of the same well? Brothers, it ought not be so. Now, when Christ comes, He deals with our duality. Blessing out of one side of their mouth, cursing out of the other. Now, realize I'm not talking about four-letter words or taking God's name in vain. That's a whole different, that's such a minor aspect. Because you can say all the right things and be Christian and it'll look like it. And you can bless me to my face and go cut me up and have me for lunch. And that's who I'm talking to. <laughs> And this isn't about the pastor, because it really is not about me at all. It's about learning to get in agreement with what the Word says when you pray. Don't waste your time on your face praying the promises of God and then get up and set them on fire with your stupid, silly, loose tongue. Too many times I've seen folks, Pastor, would you please pray with me? And then I talk to them during the week and they, it's like it's an episode off a hee-haw. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Excessive misery. I'm going, you need to get a new song, brother. You, you need to wake up and realize, like our little 11-year-old just sang, there's always a light to brighten the darkness. There's always a lantern to show us our way. and There's some hope. Come on, somebody. And hope. we got to get a hold of some hope. And we got to talk about some hope. We need to learn to have some conversation of faith and speak the word of the Lord in our mouths. Look at this. I love it. John Calvin, the great reformer of the 16th century. Now, this is a crass. I know it's crude, but a nothing makes a better point than a great quote, and John Calvin said it, judge him, not me. Here we go. I consider looseness of words no less than, a def- than the defect, than looseness of the bowels. <laughs> That'll put an image in your mind there, won't it? <laughs> He's saying some of you loose-lipped folks, really, you're no better off than a three-year-old that had not been potty trained yet. Now, let me just get back on the other side of this right here because he's talking to every one of us. See, I'm not up here wagging my finger because remember, the guy who's teaching is stricter judgment. It's real easy to get up here and shout. This morning there's a great crowd. There's a wonderful spirit in the room. I mean, I, mean I, think, I think anybody could get up. and My granddad used to say, you know what? When there's the anointing there, you can say, Tis, stat, and tutter, and it doesn't matter. It just, <laughs> God, God's moving. That's a great spirit today, great, great feeling in the room. And, and I'm gonna go home today and just feel like, you know what? God's people were blessed. We've been strengthened, we've been encouraged. But but you know, I, I believe it's so important that we learn to apply this and don't let this thing be loose. Come on, somebody. Last point. You get anything out of this? All right, number three. Jesus is our heavenly representative of our confession. Don't think religious confession. Don't think go into a little booth. Speak through a veil to a priest. Now, if you're from a Roman Catholic or an Orthodox background, we do not in any kind of way, we're, we're not making light of, we respect your heritage. As Protestants, we have a little slight disagreement. And so with respect, we will say that as Protestants, one of the earmarks of the Protestant Reformation, the protesting reformers was, is that every believer is a priest of the Lord and that we have direct access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And we don't need an intermediary, another man, or another person. I think it's a good thing to practice confession. As a matter of fact, this same book, James says, confess your sins one to another. I think that's a godly thing to do. I believe in confession. Confession that we're talking about here is not merely the negative side of confessing sin. Before we move on, confession of sin is found in 1 John 1.9. It says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful that if you blow it, all you got to do is say Jesus and name it don't just throw out a blanket, Jesus, forgive all my sins. But call it what it is and own it. Be responsible. Say, Jesus, I confess it. I renounce it. Strengthen me in the face of temptation in, this, in the future. And I, I walk away from it. I thank you that I'm new in Christ. And he will, he will roll it off and take it away as far as the east is from the west. But confession is not only that negative side of confessing sin. It's the positive proclamation of faith. It's saying to the mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and not doubting in your heart, the way we taught last week. Jesus, the Bible says, look at this. Jesus is the heavenly representative of our confession. Read this verse out loud with me. Here we go. Therefore, holy brothers, stop. Isn't that cool that the Bible calls you holy brothers? Well, he was just writing that to a bunch of preachers. (laughs) No. As a matter of fact, some of the unholiest crowd I know sometimes is in the bunch of preachers, but... (laughs) Holy brothers, this is who you are now in Christ, not who you used to be in sin. Therefore, holy brothers, read. Here we go. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our what? Our confession. Now you remember, belief in the heart is activated by words in the mouth. That was our one thing from last week. Jesus said, through the apostle Paul in Romans 10, the apostle Paul said, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. In other words, if you believe this story in your heart and you confess it out of your mouth, you're you're covered. Your life should be changed and transformed progressively. Okay. He goes on to say, With the heart man believes and becomes righteous, and with the mouth he confesses it and he becomes delivered, saved, set free. Okay? So belief in the heart is activated by words in the mouth. So it's the confession of faith toward Christ. Not merely the negative confession of sin, but it's the positive proclamation of my faith in God. Faith to save me. Faith to heal me. Faith to bless me. Faith to prosper me. Faith to guide me. Faith to guard me. I can can go on for another hour multiplying verbs, examples of all that God does for us. Faith to supply for me. Faith to provide for me. Faith to anoint me. Faith to appoint me. Are you you getting the idea this morning? Okay. Look at this. Two verses and I'm finished. Hebrews 4.14. Listen. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. I think too often in the, the heat of a moment, in the excitement when you've been in a service and man, it's been happening. It's just great. There's everybody's expectant. There's a high level of faith in the room, and the words encouraging, and you, you can just sense your faith growing, and man, we've been, there is nothing that I need that he won't supply. And you've sung that and You're encouraged and you're high and you're just ready to go fill up the water pistol and take on hell. (laughs) Ready, man. I'm armed. I'm armed and dangerous. But then you walk out of here and something contrary comes and Monday rolls into Tuesday and some circumstances bring some bad news. And your excitement about what you promised and what you believed and what you spoke and what you prayed on Sunday gives you an opportunity to see whether or not you're going to hold fast your confession A faith that you really believe there is nothing that I need that He won't supply. There is nothing that I need that He won't provide. Am I going to hold fast my confession? Because He's my representative. He's taking what I'm saying to the Father. And if if I'm not being consistent, if I'm being wishy-washy, I'm praying one thing on Sunday and saying something else on Tuesday. Are you following me? Look at your neighbor and say, hold fast your confession. Last verse, and I'm finished. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 10. I love this. Just listen. i got about four verses. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Everybody say washed by the blood. And our bodies washed with pure water. Everybody say washed by the water. So the blood saves us, the water cleanses us. Water of baptism. Okay, here we go. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering For he who promised is faithful. Mm. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let Let me just stand before you this morning and confess to you right now that I'll be the first to say that I have wavered. That there are seasons when I have not held fast to my confession. And if, if we're all honest in this room, everybody under the sound of my voice who's hearing this on the internet maybe a year from now, you've, been, you've had faith built up and it's become a, a great source of encouragement to you. But in this moment right now, when you realize that you have a choice and the responsibility of what comes across your lips is in your heart, that can just become one more law that makes a demand and can't deliver. It's only Jesus who has endured the contradiction words that were spoken against the Bible says who for the joy that was set before him he endured he despised the shame and he endured the cross the suffering The contradiction of sinners, all of the stuff, the barrage of words, all the accusation, all the sin, all of the criticism, all of the critiquing, all of the destructive words that were spoken on him when they spat at him and he hung on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth. He kept his confession true. There was no duality. There was no blessing out of one side of his mouth and cursing out of the other. He is the only one in history who held fast with his confession of faith and his confession of hope. And you know what? That's the awareness of the gospel this morning. That even though I've blown it, while I was still a sinner, he died for me and in my place. And though the law says behave, and you can take this great gospel filled message that I've preached this morning and you can make it just another law. You can say, behave, talk right. Or you can come back one more time fresh. Even though you've been born again for 40 years, you can get a fresh touch of the gospel of God and realize the law says behave, but the gospel says believe. The law says behave and do. The gospel says believe because it's already done. It's a finished work. This morning, my own struggle with my own tongue its not going to be won by my own power. It's going to be won by the application of the gospel, the awareness that he's already won the battle. And I just need to let him live in me. Let him be alive in my heart. Let him set a guard over my lips and let me say, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I can't do that in my strength. It it has to be his strength. He is my strength and my redeemer. Bow your hearts with